0: Welcome to Pushback, I'm Aaron Maté. The first of two major inquiries into the origins of the Russia investigation is complete. Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz found that the Steele dossier, the collection of DNC-funded reports that alleged a high-level Trump-Russia conspiracy and blackmail scheme, was essentially a work of fiction. Yet somehow, the FBI relied on the Steele dossier to obtain a surveillance warrant on Trump campaign volunteer. Carter Page. Even when the FBI heard from Steele's own main source that Steele had made serious errors, the FBI concealed those errors from the court and omitted other countervailing and critical information. By documenting the FBI's deceit, the Horowitz report also exposes the errors of prominent media and political figures who promoted Steele's phony Trump-Russia
1: narrative. I think they followed uh, all the correct procedures. We found that investigators failed to meet their basic obligations. But nonetheless, I think it's important that the American people see the actual facts that were presented to the FISA court and understand that the FBI was acting appropriately. You did find that an
0: FBI employee doctored an email in order to support the Carter Page FBI. Uh, FISA application,
1: correct? Correct. I think the notion that FISA was abused here is nonsense. Certainly our findings were that yeah. there were significant so problems when with Comey the Comey, There's a, a lot that the FBI knew about Carter Page that had nothing to do with Christopher Steele's reporting. We concluded that the Steele reporting played a central and essential role in the decision to seek a FISA order.
2: A lot more there than simply the steel dossier, which is what the Republican memo would have suggested to the American public, was the key element of that FISA application. That, of course, is not true. The
1: FISA applications relied entirely on information from the steel. I'm sorry, from the primary subsources reporting to support the allegation that Page was coordinating with the Russian government. The court was told uh, and given evidence that demonstrated the the underlying political motivation. Christopher Steele, is it fair to say that he had a political bias against Donald Trump? Um, Given who he was paid for, there was a bias that needed to be disclosed to the court. It was all nonsense. And the FBI finally has its day with the American people and I hope they pay attention to it. You know, I think the activities we found here don't vindicate anybody who touched this.
0: Well, to discuss the Horowitz report and its implications, I spoke recently to Matt Taibbi, author, contributing editor at Rolling Stone, and co-host of the podcast, Useful Idiots. Matt Taibbi, welcome to Pushback. Does it seem to you as if we're actually finally getting some answers uh, as to how this whole Russia investigation started?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the the Horowitz report, IG report is a little bit less about how it started than what happened after it started. But, um, but yeah, I know there's a lot of answers in here about this investigation. There's a lot of clarity that we didn't have before, a lot of misconceptions that... We're, were pushed in basically all the news outlets, uh, you know, have now been cleared up. So um, it's it's interesting you know, that that this is finally, finally starting to crack a little bit.
0: The uh, coverage, a lot of the media coverage of, Horowitz, of Horowitz's report pointed out that it didn't validate Trump's uh, talk about a deep state conspiracy against him. But to me, all that was shifting the goalposts. To me, the question is, was the what was the investigation based on and what was the conduct of the investigators who were pursuing it? And I feel like there we got a lot of damning material. What to you is some of the most, uh, 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 what to you are some of the biggest takeaways from what we learned about how the FBI handled the Russia investigation at the outset?
2: Well, I don't think you want to undersell that um, conclusion about bias because there is some stuff in there that does, tell us something real about what they were thinking when they started the investigation. The, you know, the, 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 the theory, the conspiracy theory that hardcore Trump fans have, that this was a frame up from the beginning, that it was done specifically to, you know, to hurt Donald Trump, uh, and that they were they never sincerely believed that he was um, somehow connected to the Russians. I, I think that's undercut a little bit by some of the stuff that's in the report, not just in the in the fact that uh, Horowitz says, you know, it met the 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 low standards or the, the what is, I forget what the word term is, it's the, the low uh, like bar for predication. Uh, but also the fact, for instance, that they had confidential informants who were either in or around the Trump campaign that they did not contact, that they did not ask uh, to to report uh, on the Trump campaign. And that they, there are a couple of quotes in there about how they they were really only interested in that one narrow question about Russian involvement. So that, that to me was a little bit of a surprise. And I think it does suggest that whoever these people were who, well, people who are in the Crossfire Hurricane team, that they did honestly on some level think that there might be a problem there and that they were, they were actually following that up and that it did meet the, the minimal standards, factual standards for starting an investigation. So I think all that's true. The problem is what happened afterwards, and and I think what this sh- report most conclusively shows is that after they got a pretty clear picture that there wasn't something there, or that the, at the very least that there weren't obvious uh, indications of, of collusion and conspiracy between Trump and the Russians, they kept flooring it. And not only did they they continue to conduct surveillance, you know, the most intrusive kinds of surveillance, they were. Doing so, and then also these stories were leaking to the news media, uh, and one one has to presume that a lot of those anonymous sources who were pushing these bombshell news stories, and there were a bunch of them, we can talk about. Um, you know that these were ha- this was happening after they already had a pretty good idea that the that the basic collusion theory wasn't true.
0: Well, you know, on that front, I was surprised to learn just how early on they realized that the Christopher Steele dossier which was the basis for the FISA warrants on Trump campaign volunteer Carter Page, how early on they realized that the still dossier was basically a joke. But before we talk about that, let me ask you actually about the the predication for the Russia probe itself. Because as you point out, the bar was very low to open up a probe, and that's fine. But I, I think it's important for people to know just how thin the predicate was. And in the Horowitz report, we actually get a very good idea. So basically... The official story of how the Russia probe was opened is that after uh, the uh, theft of Democratic Party emails was publicly known, and after uh, cyber security uh, firm uh, CrowdStrike uh, blamed Russia, uh, after that the FBI gets this tip from Australia, from an Australian diplomat, Alexander Downer, that he had heard from a Trump campaign volunteer, George Papadopoulos, that, Russia was offering to assist the campaign with the release of information. And that, after learning that, the FBI used that as the predicate for the probe. But here in the Horowitz report, we see exactly the tip that Downer, this Australian diplomat, relayed. And this is, and the report quotes it, and I'll read it to you, Matt. Uh, So it says, Papadopoulos, quote, suggested the Trump team had received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist this process with the anonymous release of information during the campaign that would be damaging to Mrs. Clinton and President Obama. It was unclear whether he, meaning Papadopoulos, or the Russians were referring to material acquired publicly or through other means. <laughs> it was also <laughs> unclear how Mr. Trump's reacted to the offer. So that is from the document that the FBI received from the, the from, um, the Australian government basically passing on this tip that was given to Downer from Papadopoulos. So this is the basis for a counterintelligence investigation of a presidential campaign. It is uh, it refers to a suggestion. Sorry, it was it refers to a suggestion to the Trump team about a suggestion, which doesn't <laughs> even reference specifically the stolen Democratic Party emails that Russia and Trump would have been conspiring over. So. It just, it, it's fine if that meets the legal threshold, but I think it's important to stress just how low that threshold is.
2: Yeah, and, and if you listen to Horowitz's testimony on the Hill uh, earlier this week, he repeatedly points out, and you can see it in his eyes, it's kind of funny, he's almost amazed that basically one level up from a field agent could initiate this kind of an investigation into a, you know, a major party presidential candidate. Um, and clearly that one of the recommendations of his report is that we no longer make it that easy for this to happen. They they want to have additional procedures for notification. But you're absolutely right. You know, this whole thing comes down to a conversation between a Maltese professor and an American uh, that gets passed on to an Australian. And this ends up being And he describes it as the sole predication for this Investigation. Um, So, in other words, a conversation between two Westerners launches a counterintelligence probe uh, uh, about Trump and Russia. And there's no finding in this report, again, which has also happened in the Mueller report, that uh, you know the original conversant, right, uh, Joseph Mifsud, was actually you know in any way in the employ of the Russian government or a Russian agent. So. Yeah, it's an incredibly thin pretext, and you're absolutely right. Even though it did meet the minimal standards for starting an investigation, um, and let's put, let's be clear, it wasn't a complete nothing there. I mean, you know, there was something to suggest, if you if you believe it on on face value, that uh, you know it was a little bit fishy for sure. But uh, but they went straight from there to, you know, the most intrusive surveillance methods. Right. They were they were sending CIs after these guys and then then they went to FISA after that. So uh, it's amazing.
0: I mean, it makes me think, I mean, what if these stolen emails had come out earlier during the primary between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders? And let's say I went to a low level Bernie Sanders volunteer working in Europe and said, hey, the Russians might be able to assist your campaign with the anonymous release of some information. I'm not even gonna specify what that information is. It could be anything. I'm not even gonna reference hacked emails, but it, you know we could give you anything. Would that then be the basis for the FBI to open up a counterintelligence probe of the Sanders campaign? And I think by the standard established here that it would be, which just strikes me as kind of ridiculous.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that that would be sufficient. Um, you know, I don't think that's. I don't think that's a hundred percent unreasonable. The, 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 real issue though, is that I, I don't see a whole lot of urgency anywhere in this process to find out who Joseph Mifsud is, which would be my first question if I were investigating this, like, where did this come from? Right. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that would be the rabbit hole I would be looking at right away rather than trying to to conduct wide-scale surveillance of the entire Trump campaign, which is what they what they did, right? So mm. that was very strange to me. It just, you know, from, from a standpoint of research and investigation, just the directions they went into seemed odd to me.
0: Yeah, it was odd to me too that none of the senators who questioned Horowitz at his hearing asked him if he has any idea who Joseph Missoud is, given how, um, given that he was the predicate for the entire probe. The only answer that I've seen Uh, came from Mueller and his testimony in July when he was asked, who is Joseph Mifsud? And also, why didn't you charge him with lying given that your report says that he lied to the FBI? And your investigation, the Mueller investigation, charged other people, including George Papadopoulos, with lying. And Mueller's answer was basically, I'm not going to get into any of that. So so answers are still elusive.
2: Yeah, and and Mifsud is mentioned in this report um, because, yet again, there's another screw up if you want to call it that involving the FISA because they, they didn't include the, not the Mifsud's denial in the interview that he said certain things, you know, with regard to, uh, the emails, they didn't include that in the later FISA applications. So, um, but, uh, yeah, there's no clarity about who he is. Now, I have talked to somebody not in the Senate, but in the house, um, who is interest has been interested in this issue for a couple of years now and they they're upset that there isn't more clarity about mifsud and the the quote i got was how can this investigation be above board if mifsud isn't a russian so um you know i I don't think this issue is dead and i i i also hear that the durham probe is intensely interested in that matter
0: yeah there are rumors not confirmed yet, but rumors that Durham actually got Mifsud's cell phones when he went to Italy, uh, and that there's also a lot of speculation that Mifsud has ties to Western intelligence services. He definitely looks like he was involved in some kind of shady activity and talking to Papadopoulos and promising to introduce him to Putin's niece, even though Vladimir Putin has no niece. Right. I, I personally don't buy the theory that Mifsud was part of some you know, CIA or FBI setup of the, the Trump campaign, but it does seem like something strange was going on. And it, it's strange that to date, we've had zero evidence that he actually has any concrete ties to Russia or is acting on its behalf. But let me ask you more about the Steele dossier, because as you've written about it, contrary to the spin we got for a long time, it did play a vital role in all this. It was used as the basis to get FISA warrants on Carter Page. And one of the striking things we learned is that very early on, uh, the FBI, after making some effort, uh, reached Steele's primary source, <laughs> and the primary source basically debunked all the core allegations, including the P-tape, which you know hung over Trump's presidency for a while. Uh, talk to us about what Horowitz found there.
2: That's amazing. The whole the whole thing is just it's such a comedy of errors, right? The so they they find what they call the primary subsource in, um, in Steele's report. They talk to him on, I think it's three different occasions, right? But they, one of the early interviews, the, the person who's, whom, with whom Steele talked, he's a, he's sort of aghast because he's like, I, know, I, I didn't see the report until it was published, and um, I didn't really say all that stuff. And then he goes on to say, all of this detail about the sexual blackmail portion of the report, that this was something that w- it came from a conversation, quote, over beers, uh, and it was made, quote, in jest. Um, and uh, furthermore, that it, uh, despite the fact that Steele had had claimed that this was confirmed by a senior Western official at the, a senior Western employee of the Ritz, Ritz-Carlton, He's like, no, I didn't confirm it. In fact, uh, apparently, Steele asked him to go find con- confirmation. And when he went back to try to do that, he, he was unable to. And the, the, the phrase that Horowitz used was that corroboration was zero. Um, so, again, the sheer comedy of this is that this was like the news story of 2017. Um, it, it essentially dropped on our laps in the in the second week of January 2017, and the search for the P tape, in in one form or another, was the driving concern of uh, you know there's a the cream of the American political press for quite a while, and you know it turns out to be complete nonsense that you know that was sort of casually delivered to this goofball Steele who who seems to have had personality quirk that that would have embellished this fact I mean in fact he, he did embellish it I mean he, he said he said things that the source didn't say in his reports so it's it's just a game of telephone where everything gets progressively more stupid as as, as we go on and when the final layer of this uh, came out you know after the Intel Chiefs presented this report to Trump and it, and it dumped on the, the news media, Yeah, it just became like a nuclear bomb of stupidity. It's just, it's incredible.
0: Let me go to a couple of examples of this, Matt. So here you have Rachel Maddow in January, 2017, just days before Trump was set to take office. Here she is speculating that Vladimir Putin is going to use the P-tape to get Trump to withdraw U.S. forces from near Russia.
2: And here's the question. Is the new president gonna take those troops out?
0: After all the speculation, after all the worry, we are actually about to find out if
1: Russia maybe has something on the new president. We're about to find out if the new president of our country is going to do what Russia wants once he's commander
2: in chief of the U.S. military starting noon on Friday. What is he going to do with those deployments?
0: So that's Rachel Maddow in January 2017. Fast forward to April 2018, uh, And Jonathan Chait, columnist for for New York Magazine, writes in a column called, I'm a believer and you should be too. He says, quote, an accumulation of evidence has tipped the balance from unlikely to likely, unquote, that Trump, quote, was secretly recorded in Moscow in 2013, paying prostitutes to urinate on a bed, unquote. Matt, as a media consumer, as as a media watchdog, you've written a lot about the media. Do you see any self-reflection coming in the wake of the Horowitz report and the embarrassing revelations that it contains about Steele and, accordingly, the media who so widely parroted its ridiculous claims?
2: I haven't seen any. Um, It's... I would actually say it's a little surprising the degree to which there hasn't been any reflection uh, on this, because um, where most people seem to be landing on, on this is we, we complied with the minimal standards for ethics and uh, accuracy when we did these reports. So, for instance, the Steele report was a major component of stories in early January where the news networks simply reported that James Comey and other other intelligence officials had presented this document to Donald Trump, uh, in which there were some claims that Russians were trying to blackmail Trump, right? So they can say, "Well, technically, we were accurate. That that meeting did happen, and that that thing that document was presented. So we know we're not wrong." You know, same thing with the story about. Um, you know, Carter Page and a FISA court having found probable cause that he was an agent of a foreign power, technically true. Right. So people who reported that, um, you know, they'll they'll say technically that's accurate. You know, when you get into the commentary like Chait's where, you know, he's saying the the evidence is now tilted towards, um, you know, it being more likely or more true. Again, he can point to the fact that there was a court that found probable cause you know, to well, I guess he couldn't at that point, right? Because he didn't know that that was referring to the steel dossier. But the point being, if you were a real reporter, uh, you'd be freaked out that the underlying premise of your stories was wrong. um, even if uh, legally, you didn't do anything that's actionable. Like you know you, you would just hate to be screwing up a story like that. And I haven't seen anybody who's who's pissed off at their sources who's come out and say, I'm mad that I, that I was had by these anonymous intelligence officials. Like there isn't any of that. And that is what you would expect to see when, when people have been systematically fooled. We did see some of that after the WMD episode, which to me is very similar to this, but I haven't seen any of you. I mean, I, you know, I, I haven't.
0: There was one piece in the New York Times by Charlie Savage that talked about the serious surveillance abuses Raised, raised here in terms of what this says about how the FBI misled the FISA court in keeping out, you know, all the exculpatory evidence uh, from the FISA court, including the fact that you know Carter Page, who the FBI told the FISA court it's suspected of working with the Russian government, they kept out the fact that Carter Page actually, what, at that time, was a source for the CIA, and of course they left out all that exculpatory information uh, that debunked the Steele dossier's claims about Carter Page, so. I do think there is some concern. Some people are waking up to how the FISA process was abused. But yeah, in terms of pushing the conspiracy theory angle and the fact that so much of it was based on Steele and so much of an effort was made to lend Steele some credibility, even though his claims were so transparently ridiculous, no, I, I've seen no self-reflection about
2: that at all. Yeah, and and just to to, to add to that a little bit, you're. It's not necessarily a factual mistake when you do something like a fawning 6,000-word profile or however many words it was in, in, in New Yorker, right? When, when they did that profile of Steele and everybody was doing Christopher Steele profiles, I don't know how many different news outlets compared him to George Smiley from the John le Carré novels, right? So that's not necessarily an error, um you, you you can't say that you're factually necessarily wrong in a lot of those places, but the theme of it is fraudulent and you should be upset going back, you know, to find out that this guy doesn't seem to be all that reliable, um, you know. I've heard things. You know, this—he hasn't been in Russia, Christopher Steele, since you know the the first Bush presidency, since I was in college there. And uh, it's unclear to me that he even speaks Russian. And where was that information, right? So, so it's stuff like that. People are going to say we didn't make technically a factual error, but thematically, this stuff was all crazy.
0: So, finally, where do you think all this goes next? We had uh, John Durham who's heading up a separate inquiry into the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation and he has a wider mandate, he has subpoena power. He's not just looking at the FBI, he's also looking at the CIA. He came out with a statement uh, basically taking issue with Horowitz's finding that the Russia probe had sufficient predication. And meanwhile we have impeachment going on, Uh, the House looks likely to pass it as early as next week. And uh, of course, we can expect that the Senate will vote to acquit Trump. But certainly, uh, the theme of Trump's first term, which is you know, Trump fighting against elements of the national security state who really don't like him for their own narrow reasons, and Democrats themselves instead of you know coming up with a policy agenda that could challenge Trump on his policies, sort of really riding the coattails of the national security state. That seems to be very much continuing through all this. So, as you look ahead, what what do you foresee?
2: Well, I was shocked by the statement. I mean, were, were you shocked by the Durham statement? I was very surprised. By I
0: that. was surprised by that. It, it did seem to come from nowhere.
2: So, I, I can't see any scenario where that doesn't mean that they have something a lot more significant than what Horowitz found, because. It, Dorham you know he's charged with you know looking for cases to make and his mandate is a little different from Horowitz he's not about writing a report making recommendations I mean he's looking to for prosecutions um, it would be astonishing to me that he would make that kind of a statement disagreeing with that um, unless the his conclusions were I would were pretty dramatically different so uh, you know, uh, we've obviously heard some things in, in that direction. You know, there's people hiring criminal lawyers all over the place. Incidentally, that's going to be another amazing media story. How, how are are MSNBC and CNN going to cover uh, the Durham probe if they have people who are paid contributors for them uh, commenting on on the you know on the probe that where they had involvement with it? I I don't see how that's going to work out. But anyway that sounds like it's going to be something pretty significant. There's going to be a lot of blood spilled over that issue. And if, that's, if that lands in the middle of the, the impeachment trial, it's just going to be an absolute circus. I have no idea how that's going to pan out. But I also think you're right on the, on the impeachment front. All the numbers now show that the public, it's just not working. It's not, it's not producing the effect that they kind of hoped it would if anything, the numbers are kind of ticking the other way, especially in some of the key states, as you and I have talked about before. So I, I just don't know what their endgame is here. I don't know what they were thinking, if they if they actually thought that this was going to work. But it, that, to me, is also kind of a mystery. Are we ever going to find out what the thinking was behind this? Because I, I just don't get it. Do you? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's amazing.
0: Well, I think, and I've said this for a while, that the thinking here is just a refusal to learn the lessons of 2016 where, you know, as you've written about, Democrats lost because Trump painted himself as an anti-establishment candidate and won over enough voters where it mattered in the battleground states. And for Democrats to change and to mount a proper resistance to Trump, it would have mean actually transforming into a genuinely anti-establishment party so they could show Trump's Anti establishment rhetoric to be a con. But the problem is for Democrats, to do that would mean challenging their own power within the establishment. And there has been a refusal to do that. And so instead of being an authentic resistance party, they've just latched on to a different uh, uh, wing of the establishment, which is the national security state, and sort of ridden their coattails and relied on them to do the job of opposing Trump that they refused to do.
2: Yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's just an amazing story, the whole thing. But uh...
0: And my fear now is that with Durham, this Durham report, where Durham is looking into the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation and he has more powers than Horowitz had. He can subpoena people. He can bring charges. He can look at places beyond the FBI, look at the CIA. Um, my fear is that Durham will uncover more damning stuff, just like Horowitz did. And this will come out in time for Trump's re-election campaign. And he will use this, and he will use this also as an excuse for his failures to live up to his promises of helping the working class, because he can say, look, look at this deep state conspiracy against me, these unelected bureaucrats who tried to bring me down. And he can make that the issue instead of the issue being his own failure to do anything that he promised to do when it comes to actually helping the working class.
2: Oh, he he already is. I mean, in his his speech in Hershey, Pennsylvania, already this week, he, you know, he he went on over and over uh, the the whole thing. I mean, I think I think we can expect Trump to try to do a couple of things. If if they're smart, and I I don't unfortunately think that they're dumb about these things, um, they'll try to stall the release of the Durham thing as long as possible. I think ideally they would like it to come out after. The impeachment process is over. Um, But even if that doesn't happen, you're absolutely right. I I think we can expect on the campaign trail, he's going to be like late stage Lenny Bruce. He's going to be up there with the court papers in hand, talking about all the injustices that were done to him. And, you know, unlike those Lenny Bruce acts, it's going to work. You know what I mean? I think he's going to be able to say there was a conspiracy against him um, with some significant justification. You know, even the Horowitz thing, yeah he didn't use the word bias but collectively all those incidents that's clearly what it is i mean you know they're they're thumbing the scale to keep the investigation going no matter what you call it it is what it is and he's he's going to be able to you know to ride that too so it's a disaster because if they had just not done this and argued against trump's presidency on other grounds on how you know how how is america doing um you know inequality all those things it would have been tough for him but now they've handed him an issue a couple of issues huge ones um, that he'll be able to carry all the way to the finish line without having to delve into anything it's just it's amazing uh, that they're do- that they did this
0: Matt Taibbi contributing editor at Rolling Stone co-host of the podcast Useful Idiots thanks very much All right
2: much. thanks a lot Aaron take care